Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Anid Mubarak. This is Muhammad Jalal, and I am the host of this new podcast, The Thinking Muslim. This podcast is dedicated to exploring issues in some more depth and untangling the complexities of the world around us. Over the coming weeks, I have lined up a number of interviews and discussions to investigate a range of topics, including a fascinating interview with the US activist Daniel Hakikachu and a discussion with Asim Qureshi from CAGE, as well as experts in Islamic economics, Quran, Hadith and international affairs. Please remember to subscribe using your favourite podcast app and send me feedback using the Twitter handle in the description of the programme. Remember, this is how we improve and so your views are very welcome. Inshallah, I hope to have a new program released every Monday. I ask you all to make dua for me and to all those who have given up their time to contribute from around the world. This week we shall be looking at the situation of the Muslims in China. For the past few years, news about the plight of the Uyghurs in the restive northwestern region of Xinjiang, known as East Turkestan, has gradually worsened. The destruction of mosques, the use of technology to monitor every movement of the population, the banning of fasting in Ramadan, the introduction of Han Chinese visitors to each home to observe the family unit, the closing of Islamic seminaries have all been documented as the Chinese state attempts to disassociate Islam from the daily practice of ordinary believers. But it is the introduction of camps what the Chinese government euphemistically calls re-education centres that's focused minds around the world 
that nothing less than an annihilation of an entire religious and cultural identity is taking place in full view of the international community. The Uyghurs have always resisted Chinese rule and their heroism in the face of Chinese imperialism predates 1949 when Chairman Mao brought the communists to power. The Uyghurs suffered under the repression of the Cultural Revolution where religion was suppressed. But in recent years, China's rapid development has allowed it to acquire sophisticated forms of state control never seen in the history of authoritarian rule. The state regulates every inch of the lives of its Muslim population on a scale and ambition that informs us about the type of world China is trying to create. China is growing in economic and military strength. Its economy, by some measures, now puts it in the number one position when measured by purchasing power, and it is using this wealth to project influence across the Asia-Pacific and beyond. A recent UNHRC report condemning China's actions was notable by the absence of any Muslim country on the list. China has brought the silence of a great number of states, including Pakistan that borders the disputed region, even though Pakistan plays host to China's centerpiece economic project, the so-called China-Pakistan Economic Corridor, that links the southern port of Gwadar through a superhighway to China via Jinjiang. What's your stance on China's treatment of Uyghur Muslims? Frankly, I don't know much about that. Turkey has said it was a great shame on humanity, and you have also spoken up in defense of Muslims around the world. It's true. I mean, you, you know, Muslim world is probably going through its worst phase right now. But you won't speak out against what's happening in China? If I had enough knowledge, I would speak about it. I actually, it is not so much in the papers. Pakistan's Prime Minister Imran Khan speaking to the Financial Times. So what about the Americans? The Chinese are currently engaged in a trade war with America, and so cynically the plight of the Uyghurs has become a lever to apply pressure, with a sudden interest in the American press. The concern will be short-lived, as America abandons its human rights mantra in exchange for political expediency. To try and understand more about the Uyghurs and their struggle, this week I am pleased to have as our guest on the Thinking Muslim podcast, Aslan Hidayat, a Uyghur activist and campaigner currently based in Turkey, to talk to us about the extent to which Uyghurs have been subject to China's program of repression. Aslan has been active for many years, bringing to the world's attention the situation in East Turkestan, long before it was adopted by the mainstream press. He left his home region over 10 years ago, but remains in contact with members of the community and has become a source of information for many. He can be found on Twitter, under the handle at Aslan underscore Hidayat, and I would welcome and encourage you all to follow him. Brother Aslan, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakat, and welcome to the Thinking Muslim podcast. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank you, brother, for having me and for shedding light on this issue. Jazakallah khairan. I think it's a fitting place to start 10 years ago, uh, just after the Urumqi 
demonstrations and riots. Uh, it seems to me that the Chinese state began its campaign of repression, or at least accelerated its campaign after the events ten years ago. Can you please shed light on what happened ten years ago in Urumqi? In two thousand and nine, the the famous the, the Urumqi riots happened, um, and this was based on uh, because. Uh, as you know, it's well known that made in China products—they're very cheap because of Chinese labor. Actually, Uyghur labor is even more cheap. So, especially again, the the heavily populated the south of East Turkestan, um, a lot of our youth, especially our girls, are sent to work in factories um, in in the mainland of China. So, your Shanghai, your Guangzhou. So, what happened was in two thousand and nine. Uh, June 26, a lot of um, our Uyghur youth that were working in these factories were slaughtered um, based on a rumor that wasn't true that some Uyghur men were flirting with some uh, Chinese girls. And so... And who spread this rumor? Uh, the, the the residents there. So what had happened was that this rumor had spread, people had got together, it kind of spread on social media, even though social media wasn't as you know, as good as today with your Facebooks, um, they've got their own versions of it. And so they, around five, 600 of our youth disappeared for the, for the next 10 days. Uh, back in East Turkestan, a lot of university students and uh, professors uh, went to the Chinese authorities to see what was being done about this situation, realized that nothing was being done. And on July the 5th of 2009, they, holding the Chinese flag, they went to protest out on the main square and they were met with bullets. So it was like uh, Tiananmen Square 2 and then it went out to all-out riots. Eventually, for the next year, the internet was cut off. The The governor at the time, Wang Chuan, actually called uh, on the Chinese people to go and basically slaughter the Uyghurs out on the street. So if you are a Uyghur uh, in 2009, July 5th, July 7th, um, you really couldn't go outside. Um, and that's when we slowly started seeing people realize that, you know, we have to leave. Uh, they realized that, you know, it's us versus them. Otherwise, for the longest time, China has been propagating that the Uyghurs are part of the 56 different nationalities living harmoniously within China. But obviously, after 2009, that wasn't the case. People started to realize their deen again, because up until then, the Islam was very, I mean, people identified as Islam. And generally speaking, you could still practice Islam, but people weren't really interested in it. It was only after 2009, once they realized that, hey, we are not like them, especially a lot of the youth um, started waking up. Now, now the, the Chinese government, so th there's a couple of things. Firstly, um, um, uh, we'll come to uh, the... Uh, the instances of persecution and, and the different forms of persecution. But I, I'm trying to understand uh, how the motivations of the Chinese government. Now, one uh, one narrative that the Chinese government uh, put puts out there in, in the media is Xinjiang is uh, a center of militancy. And they cite a number of uh, terrorist activities uh, or what they call terrorist activities and mob violence in the region to maintain this narrative. Um, they've spoken about the East Turkestan Islamic movement, which they call a terrorist group, with alleged links to Al-Qaeda and now ISIS. Uh, they uh, accused this organisation 
uh, of uh, uh, conducting bombings uh, during or just before the Olympic Games in 2008 and a suicide attack in 2013 uh, in Tiananmen Square in, in, in mainland China. And, uh, and, and you mentioned there about uh, the uh, Urumji um, uh, riots, uh, but their narrative is that a mob of, um, uh, of uh, uh, Muslim protesters, uh, Uyghurs, uh, uh, targeted Han Chinese uh, companies and, and, uh, and individuals. And so th their argument is that this restive uh, region uh, is restive because uh, of the activities of, of terrorist groups. So I'll, I'll be frankly honest with you. After 2009, between 2011 and 2015-16, um, there have been attacks. There have been uh, what looks like orchestrated attacks, but these attacks are actually not linked to any group at all. The, indiv the individuals that were involved were basically seeking revenge. Uh, for example, their parents may have been taken by the Chinese or killed. Their wife, their children may have been persecuted in one way or another. So it was their way of seeking revenge. These were individual lone wolf attacks. Number two, number two, um, uh, these people were never caught. They were never put on trial. They were never asked. They were never seen to the media. So we, we cannot actually fully know what their intentions were. Uh, another thing is that the people that have actually, uh, what you have to realize is in China, the, 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 the technology is so high that you can't, for example, if you and I, we, we are not able to, uh, there's a lack of trust between individuals and they are very afraid to talk on their phone or send messages because everything is tracked. It will be very difficult to orchestrate such um, attacks in that way. And another huge reason is for the longest time, uh, China has been locking up and uh, executing our real ulama, our real scholars, the people of knowledge. So once you get rid of the people of knowledge, people are going to go to the Quran and interpret the verses in their own way. And there may be some individuals that have done it this way, but uh, again, why did they? Why did these attacks end up happening? Because the Chinese government themselves got rid of the people of knowledge to teach the Quran properly. And even if you or I were to go to any mosque today in East Turkestan and ask for Islamic knowledge, the, the imams would tell you to go away because giving Islamic knowledge is illegal. Uh, th 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 those imams are only there for show when tourists come or when foreign journalists or UN investigators go there. So, so, so in your mind, the, the, the militancy that the Chinese government cites, um, mm -hmm. you know, th this militancy came as a result of the, the harsh persecution uh, yes. of, of the Chinese government. Um, now, the Chinese yes. government, um, of course, for a very long time has said to the international community that uh, they have their own war on terror. And, and they've mm -hmm. quite, uh, quite cleverly, I suppose, linked uh, yeah. the, the region to a greater struggle against militant Islam mm -hmm. and, and connections with Al-Qaeda and ISIS. I mean, uh, w yeah. what's your perspective on that? So uh, I'll, actually tells you, I'll actually tell you the, the political situation there. A Uyghur, to get a passport, and I'm speaking from experience because of my own family members, has to spend uh, around fifteen to 20,000 American dollars at the, at the cheapest to get a passport in bribes. Um, so during the time of 2000 and 
14, 15, 16, like I, like I mentioned, in the south of, um, especially if you are residing in the south of East Turkestan, even if you had that money, it would be impossible uh, to get um, a passport because you because you are residing in a place close to Afghanistan and uh, this is where it's more heavily religious. You would have uh, women in niqab, burqa there before. And so but what happened in 2014, 15, 16 was they were giving out passports like hotcakes, essentially giving passports for what they were really worth, 50 American dollars. They were giving out to everyone in the south of um the, the south of East Turkestan, a lot of these individuals that did not learn Islam properly eventually ended up in Afghanistan, eventually ended up in Syria fighting with ISIS. So and you then, mean they, they actively encouraged? Yes, yes, they actively encouraged. And what was, what was interesting was, again, uh, is, Islamic media, audio tapes, videotapes are very hard to come by in East Turkestan. But suddenly we had... DVDs popping up of, um, you know, like, you know, these typical jihadi, uh, like, you know, calling to calling to martyrdom, calling to become shi'a, and uh, the youth really caught on to it. Imagine you have, you have had no Islamic knowledge whatsoever. Your parents have been, your, your whole life, you and your family have been persecuted. Suddenly, here is a way out. They're calling you to Jannah, basically. And a lot of our youth, unfortunately, uh, the, the Chinese government themselves have cited around 5,000 uh, fighters in Syria. I'm not sure whether that number is true or not. But what's interesting is um, how they were easily, these people were let out, and then how easily they were able to cross the border from Turkey. So there is this um, kind of like a conspiracy that even the Turkish government is somehow involved in just letting these people in so we can be branded as terrorists. Otherwise, uh, What's East Turkestan got to do with Syria and vice versa? Five thousand, ten thousand in number—that's huge. Because yes, it, it does. It does bring to 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 question how can it be that um, you know the most watched community in the world, uh, you know, is able to to uh, release so many young people to to go and fight in here. And, and number two, regardless, even if th those people did, they, they've done a the wrong thing. We, we're saying to the Chinese government, why don't you go and punish those people? Now, mathematically, the I'll, I'll tell you a little about the population and I'll tell you why the persecution does not make sense. Now, according to Uyghur organizations around the world, the population of the Uyghurs in East Turkestan is anywhere between 20 million to 35 million. Now, it's very difficult because we haven't been able to do our own census, but the Chinese government themselves take it down. Uh, they base the population of the Uyghurs to about 11 to 12 million based on a census they done in 2015. Um, so if you were to do a mathematical calculation, the Chinese government says there are, there are 5,000 essentially terrorists. If you were to divide that with 11 million, you get 0.00045% of the population and 99.99954% of the population is being punished here where we've got upwards of 3 million, perhaps even more, and the rest of the people living outside um, are under 24-hour surveillance, uh, as you mentioned before, with the 1.1 million Chinese officials actually living in homes 
to check if the people pray, if they have even a prayer mat. Even the Quran, you will not find a, a Quran in, in East Turkestan. I read a hadith, um, it, the Isnad does not go to the Prophet Sallallahu I think if I, you, you can check this, but I think it goes to Abdullah ibn Abbas, where it says towards the end of days, the, the Mus'haf will not exist physically and in the hearts of men. And subhanAllah, how true is this in East, in, in East Turkestan? And what other restrictions have been placed on uh, Muslims in the last decade? We would need to go back to 2016. So up until 2016, mainly in the headlines was uh, the banning of everything uh, from your salah to the headscarf to, uh, to your fasting. So, so children uh, that go to school, they are forced, they are basically given free water, free uh, food for that month, just so they, um, just so, you know, they don't fast. But we have received fatwa from scholars saying, if you are forced in this situation, drink the food, eat the food, and um, continue on fasting because you are under force. So um, uh, forced to drink uh, alcohol, uh, eat pork, sell pork and alcohol. So if you're if you are opening up a restaurant and you are not selling pork and alcohol, then uh, you are you are fined money. Even if you don't have a hijab, even wearing long clothes. So if you wanted like wear long sleeves and long pants, no, this is especially in summer. They go no, you need to uh, below your knee. Um, and how you have your hair cut even is determined. And um, and also uh, the, the language. Uh, that you speak and even if you were to give your child Islamic knowledge at home this is also not good because your child could go to school and go oh guess what teacher M my father taught me this my mom taught me that and that way they could go to jail so even teaching your children at home about your own culture and um, the religion is banned essentially right so from 2016, uh, mm -hmm. what happened to uh, uh, to the mosques, to prayer, to uh, Muslims visiting the mosque on Juma, for example? So what happens is, um, so from 2016, uh, you you can still go to Juma, but you are registered. So, so they check how many times you're going to Juma, um, uh, and then they follow you up. So on the surface. They, they are taking numbers. So, and you could only go to Juma in your own area. So if you're living in a certain town, you couldn't, not even town, like your own suburb, you couldn't go to the next suburb over. Um, and eventually they got rid of going to the mosques um, altogether. So it was stage by stage. You've got cameras everywhere. You've even got, and you can look at these up, me, me, uh, images on social media, the images of Chinese leaders in and outside of the mosques. So imagine doing sujood and right where the imam is standing on top, you've got the image of Xi Jinping. There's a lot in the press at the moment about uh, the Chinese company Huawei uh, and its, um, uh, its engagements in the West. Uh, but also a byproduct of that discussion has been uh, the use of companies like Huawei in uh, in trying to maintain this internal security state uh, that the Chinese want to establish. Uh, and uh, there are a number of articles I've read in, in, uh, uh, in recent months about the use of technology, whether that's GPS tracking or uh, 
monitoring internet, monitoring technology, and and how uh, this is used to uh, to to control uh, the Uyghurs. Um, have you have you come across this? And can you can you tell us more about how the Chinese state is creating the surveillance state using technology? So it's um, amazing uh, that they've spent uh, hundreds of billions of dollars on um, uh, on technology. Uh, we have something you may have you may have seen. It's similar to um, a Black Mirror episode where your social um, points. So, for example, how you conduct your day, whether you buy nappies for your child or not, or um, how many hours are you on the phone. All these things, uh, how much electricity you use, what time you use the electricity or water. So imagine during the month of Ramadan, they see that you're using electricity in hours of 2 or 3 a.m. Big red light. Oh, this guy is preparing for sahur. So, so even the, the, the hours of um, you know, when you use electricity, how much gas you fill in your car, uh, what time you leave home as to what time you left home a month ago. Everything is tracked. Um, so, so even uh, differences in your electricity use, they have a special new app now called iJOP, I-J-O-P, which is the Integrated Joint Operations Platform um, where, where the police have this. So if they notice that you're using less or more water this month than compared to next month, they go and check you out. They go and uh, check out what's happening with you. Uh, so maybe, maybe you are harboring individuals in your home that are running from the police, maybe. So therefore, you've had to use a lot more water that month. Now, let's turn to the uh, concentration camps. Um, in your estimation, how many Uyghurs uh, are currently held up uh, in, these, uh, in these camps? One million is being said by the United Nations. Two million is being said by the U.S. State Department. And three million is being said by Amnesty International. Aslan, what, what's the reason behind sending uh, the Uyghurs uh, to uh, the camps? Uh, of course, the Chinese state uh, still needs to justify its move uh, by uh, explaining uh, its, uh, its uh, horrific actions, really. Uh, is it simply uh, explained away by suggesting that uh, these camps are... Uh, are there for um uh for employment purposes or, or or do you think there's something else behind it? Okay, so the main reason is uh, there is a special law that was introduced two years ago, saying that 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 they needed to re-educate uh, the children who were born in the 1980s. Why the 1980s? Because the 1980s is post-cultural revolution pre-cultural revolution, all the activists pre-cultural revolution were killed off. All the leaders of the East Turkestan uh, second government that I mentioned were killed off or basically made to, you know, propagate the communist message for them. So the people that lived through the cultural revolution, like my own parents, were brainwashed, indoctrinated. They were taken care of. However, after the Cultural Revolution, uh, the president of the time, Ding Xiaoping, he opened the gates to capitalism and to America and to the West. And so there was a little bit of leeway during that time. Uh, Islam was a bit more free. People were actually, from, uh, from what I hear from elders, they were able to carry the Quran and, and uh, walk on the streets, basically. Right. So it seems to me that um, 
the the current uh, premier Xi Jinping um, uh, really is reversed reverted back to uh, the same policy as Chairman Mao uh, to eradicate or to culturally purify uh, the the citizens in in China, in particular Muslims, who, who he regards as being a, a potential threat. Uh, to the stability of the state. And, and Asan, how long uh, would uh, a Uyghur spend uh, in these camps? It varies. I mean, uh, there, there have been some people that have left based on, and they've gone overseas because they had dual citizenship. And um, God knows, uh, there have people that have left after one year, some after six months, some for two, three years, they're still inside. So it really varies on uh, on their progress. Uh, and even after these people leave, a lot of their accounts is that they don't survive because um, in the camps they are given certain um, pills and they are, they are laced um, and they are given certain injections. And by the time they leave, after a month or two, they die. They're, they're not able to survive or they're very, very sick or they become paraplegic or they have some sort of a, um, you know, life-threatening disease and, yeah. You are a campaigner and uh, you've been uh, following uh, closely really what's what's happened and, and the, the trajectory of, of the repression in uh, in uh, East Turkestan. Um, uh, can you tell me what the conditions are uh, uh, in the camps when a person enters the camp? Um, uh, what what types what type of environment does he interact with on a on a daily basis? So uh, based on what uh, some of the people that have been released, they say um, they wake up very early in the morning. Um, they, they are constantly shackled with five kilo shackles on their feet and on their hands. They are made to sit on a, uh, on a hard chair. They are made to memorize uh, hymns. Uh, and, and basically they are being taught the, 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 com- the communist religion. Uh, and they are basically given uh, khutbas every day. And uh, the, the sermon of the khutbah is uh, Xi Jinping himself. So they get uh, hours and hours of videos um, of him, you know, giving these sermons, these, uh, these propagated messages, uh, saying basically messages like uh, your, your, your daily bread doesn't come from God. Uh, without the Chinese government, you are nothing. So, like your risk. So, basically, the asma wa sifat of Allah is given to Xi Jinping himself. Uh, these people are given four, five hundred, or six hundred calorie diets. They live off that. Um, they are made to write uh, self-criticizing letters to themselves. So, and and based on these letters, so you have to criticize yourself, like. Uh, because I prayed, I'm in this situation, I will better myself, I will not pray again, um, things like this. Um, and for those that don't comply, uh, a lot of the women, they, they, are, they are given sterilizing uh, injections, and, and these injections also make them not feel hungry as well. Um, they, they sleep in quarters, uh, so they'll sleep in a, um, say, uh, say a room uh, where, it, where 20 people could be squashed together, but they'll have 40 people stay in that room. And so the 40, uh, 20 would sleep, 20 would stand up, and then they would swap shifts. This is what they've been saying. Um, they're malnourished, and eventually the, the kind of lucky ones, uh, the, the, young, the youth are sent to these kind of forced labor camps. 
I came across a, a very worrying report uh, in the New York Times and uh, uh, it suggested that there were multiple reports of the Chinese government sending Han Chinese visitors uh, to monitor uh, families and to monitor the homes of, uh, uh, of the Uyghurs. And, um, uh, you know, it, it seemed to indicate that it was a widespread uh, orchestrated practice uh, to ensure uh, the homes of uh, the Muslim uh, Uyghurs was, were free uh, of religious uh, content. So initially, the men uh, anywhere aged between 15 and up were sent to the concentration camps. The women were left alone. What's disturbing here is the officials that were living, were going into these homes were men. So, wallahi, brother, they were checking everything. And eventually they ended up sharing the bed together as well. We have a lot of cases where young girls and uh, the, the wives of these men uh, eventually committed, were committing suicide because they fell pregnant to these Chinese officials. Um, and they were jumping off buildings and uh, they couldn't, you know, with the shame and all this, uh, because um, it's it's unimaginable, one, to sleep, to be with, to, just to commit zina in the first place, uh, obviously not of their own doing, but with a kafir, with, with with the enemy. So this was a huge, and for them, yani, obviously, yani, fuck-wise, it's another issue, but to be in their situation, um, yeah, this was happening. And eventually, women were also going into the concentration camps. So you had uh, a mixture of men, women. Uh, some people had it once a week. Some people were having, you know, like they would stay at their home for months, depending on how serious people's situations were. Um, and yeah, and uh, if they found anything strange, um, they would, you know, strange being they were practicing Islam or they were too nationalistic in their Uyghurness, then they would be sent to uh, the concentration camps. Or even speaking the Uyghur language itself is illegal. So the Uyghur language, learning a foreign language like English, Arabic, Urdu, any language at all is also banned because the Chinese government think eventually if this person learns this language, he's going to, if foreign or tourists were to come, they would talk about our situation here and this would get out into the world. And another report I read, um, uh, again, equally as, uh, as worrying as, as, uh, as the one you've just mentioned, uh, seemed to imply that uh, the Chinese authorities were uh, willing to, uh, to take away the children of Uyghurs and, and reassign them and, uh, to, uh, to Han Chinese families. Um, how widespread is this? Uh, they're very true. Uh, journalists have come, especially to Turkey, and uh, we have our first account um, witnesses that, you know, um, that because generally what happens is a lot of the people that are here in Turkey, the plan is one parent would leave and then, you know, uh, make some money, you know, do the paperwork and then get the rest of the family over. But post 2017, this has all stopped where all the Uyghurs' passports have been all revoked. Uh, they are not able to do this anymore. And it makes sense that if all their family members are in the camps, where do the children go? They themselves get taken to re-education camps where they are told to hate Islam, hate their own culture, uh, forget everything. Um, uh, I, I guess the, the lucky ones would end up at the boarding schools. The unlucky ones would eventually be adopted and they could end up anywhere in China. 
um, so imagine being adopted to um, a Chinese family with this kid, whereas eventually the people in the, the kids in the boarding schools would one way or another get out in the next couple of years, you would imagine. Uh, but once you're adopted, you're adopted. There was a horrific picture I saw in, uh, in a newspaper um, and it, it uh, showed a, a Muslim Uyghur woman uh, who was uh, being married uh, or was just about to be married to a Han Chinese man. And uh, her face uh, really showed uh, uh, a, uh, you know, was, was contorted. It, it, it indicated someone who was, uh, uh, who was being compelled to, uh, to marry this man. Uh, our women essentially have become a ghanima in the sense that the, the hard-working uh, Chinese official army soldiers military are basically invited to come to the camps and pick out um, the women that they want. A lot of these women who are outside the camps are actually signing on themselves to get married to these Chinese officials uh, with the price that they don't, the Chinese government doesn't touch the rest of their family. Now, um, let's turn to uh, the international community. Um, so um, uh, there's been a mixed response, it seems to me, um, uh, from um, the main great powers as well as uh, the Muslim world. Uh, uh, recently, I, I note there was a, 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 a quite a strong condemnation of China's crackdown uh, at the United Nations with 22 countries uh, signing uh, a... Um, uh, a, a document uh, censoring the um, Chinese state. Do, do you think this is a positive step? Um, it is a positive step, but what happened uh, right after was um, the opposite, where we have uh, 50 nations uh, supporting the Chinese state in their concentration camp policy. So, and uh, after the 50 nations supported, we haven't seen uh, so the initial censorship was of 22 nations and that number hasn't risen or further statements regarding that have not been made. So they've kind of, you know, gone back into their little hole. Um, but on the other side, that number is rising. And unfortunately, the numbers of the support, uh, a lot of these quote-unquote Islamic nations, uh, a lot of the Gulf, so Qatar, Bahrain, uh, Kuwait, even Palestine, even Palestine. I'm not going to say Palestine. I'll just say Mahmoud Abbas because he hasn't been democratically elected. Saudi Arabia, of course. Um, a lot of uh, your African nations, besides the Muslim ones, are third world countries, especially the ones in Africa, and these are in South America as well. And these nations are basically getting free infrastructure built for them. Um, and with the Middle Eastern countries, uh, Pakistan, we have as well. Uh, they are basically in the middle of this huge project called the One Belt, One Road project, which is, um, I'm sure you've heard of, is going to be th the biggest trade route in the world and will pretty much put China number one. It's interesting, but the Americans have uh, been recently... Uh, making a lot of soundings about uh, about uh, uh, what's taking place. Uh, Mike Pompeo, uh, Secretary of State, uh, made a comment recently, a few days back actually, um, uh, suggesting that uh, this was the worst human rights disaster 
uh, the world is is currently facing. You've seen the the Americans kind of supporting the Uyghurs, but their support is not really genuine. They are using us as a kind of pawn um, against China, kind of the the enemy of my enemies, my friend. Right. So so the American position is is very much it's got um, a a trade war, and it sees uh, the Uyghurs as a as a lever it can pull uh, to embarrass China. Right, and 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 back to the role of Pakistan. I mean, you you mentioned the um, uh, the one belt one road project, and um, uh, the um, uh, the uh, the Pakistanis seem to be in a you know in a debt bind, and and China seems to be uh, it, one of its major creditors uh, at the moment. Now, you know, um, could you expect more from Pakistan? Um, you know, it, it seems to be in 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 severe economic trouble. In China, is the um, has the checkbook. A lot of these routes uh, that are, that that are supposed to go through to the Middle East, uh, and this is why East Turkestan is so important. The route to Moscow, the route to Turkey, the route to Europe, the route to Middle East, all go through East Turkestan. The route to the Middle East go through Pakistan. So Pakistan and China kind of need each other. Um, Pakistan, uh, they have built major highways connecting the two countries together and a lot of investment involved. Well, of course, um, you know, Imran Khan, he, um, um, he made a point when he became uh, the prime minister of, uh, of Pakistan that he would uh, fight for Muslim interests. So, you know, he, it, it seems to me that, um, you know, in, in exchange for... Um, uh, for his uh, economic interests, he's he's forsaken his brothers uh, and sisters in uh, East Turkestan. Yeah, we have to remember there is no such thing, uh, unfortunately, in today's world as a Muslim country or a Muslim leader. I would I would define it as uh, Muslim populated countries, but there is no real country, and we could argue about this till the cows come home, that is fully you know applying the Sharia. No, I absolutely. I, I mean, I'm in total agreement. But then that brings to question then um, Erdogan, right? Um, you know, uh, recently Xi Jinping uh, went to visit uh, Erdogan, and uh, there was some controversy about his uh, uh, his lack of uh, public rebuke of, of the Chinese, as well as um, you know, he, his position seems to be somewhat contradictory. Yes, he didn't sign uh, up to China's. Um, uh, uh, UN uh, UN document, but at the same time, um, his his words do not seem to portray a man who you know who's who who strongly stands up for for Muslim interests. Yes, yeah, so unfortunately, the Uyghur issue for countries like Turkey and you've seen Palestine as well, it's become a thing like, oh, this is America behind this. It's like uh, like Turkey for the longest time they know of the Uyghur issue. Um, uh, ever since the establishment, even in World War One, there were Uyghurs that 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 fought in World War One with the Turks against the enemy, basically, um, and, and they know of us. But uh, Erdogan is in a similar situation with the Pakistani president. The the the, uh, the their relations with America and the West and Europe have really cut ties, and he's unfortunately had to latch on for economic reasons with China and Russia. Turn into the strategic position of uh, East Turkestan. Uh, why does China see East Turkestan to be 
of of such important value that it's willing to go through such extraordinary steps to to uh, uh, to quell any possibility of of dissent in the region. Well, 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 e- well even before the one dot one project, China has become China because of East Turkestan. East Turkestan is rich in natural minerals and resources. If we didn't have China, if China didn't take over, we would essentially be the Dubai or Abu Dhabi of the of Central Asia, because all of most of China's coal, their oil, their gold come from us. Uh, so to, for China to be in its current situation is because of our natural resources. So that's the initial one. Number two was its strategic placing. Uh, not because of one belt one road, because of uh, for, for for military reasons, our country borders with nine other different countries: uh, Afghanistan, uh, Kazakhstan, uh, Kyrgyzstan, uh, Pakistan, uh, Kashmir, India, um, uh, Russia towards the north, Mongolia. So it's very strategic in that sense as well. So and then uh, post two thousand and thirteen, you had the the start of the talks of the one belt one road, where again. If this were to come into play, and already infrastructure is already being built uh, to, for this realization, and even a couple of European countries have signed on. Uh, I think it was Italy and um, another nation. I forget now. So eventually, this Silk Road, this ancient Silk Road, could eventually go all the way to London. Aslan, um, uh, it's really been a fascinating interview. I can't let you go before I ask. Um, uh, how optimistic are you? Can we, uh, would we speak in five years' time and um, uh, you and I will be talking about uh, the end of uh, Islam in East Turkestan? Uh, is an entire religion and culture being expunged from uh, from a region? Well, brother, I mean, you know, it's in the hands of Allah. Allah will guide whom he wills. So no, no matter what, political or um, what kind of situation they're in, if Allah wants Islam to be there and if a believer wants to believe, I mean, uh, if we just look at the stories of our predecessors, even in the Quran, what some of the prophets went through, even in their dire situation, um, as long as those people, you, you know, in, the, in those kind of situations, uh, you know, salah, fasting, all these things are not farad upon you. As long as you still have Islam in your heart, then you are still considered a Muslim. You only do what Allah, you know, has allowed you to do in your, um, you know, in your reach. So uh, it, it will depend. I mean, it depends on your meaning of Islam. Will people still have Islam in their hearts? I'm not, I'm not sure. But will you see it as open and free? I guess you would have to kind of use the Central Asian countries as an example, where only now, post 2015-ish, they've kind of, they're getting back to their Islamic routes, uh, roots because even Islam in your uh, post-Cold uh, War era in your Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstans, it was really, you know, uh, persecuted. The Muslims, they were persecuted as well. So, wallah, it all depends on the political climate and it's up to Allah as well. It's a, it's a very good note to, to end with. Uh, Brother Aslan Hidayat, it's been a pleasure to uh, speak to you today and uh, Stay safe and uh, I pray that uh, your family and uh, your community uh, remains uh, protected by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm, I mean, brother. Jazakallah khairan.
Jazakallahair for uh, uh, for listening and uh, uh, all that's left to be said is uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give uh, uh, the Uyghur Muslims uh, a way out of, of their situation and uh, uh, preserve their deen and preserve their Islam. Um, please do remember to uh, uh, to follow me on, uh, uh, on my Twitter handle uh, thinking underscore Muslim uh, so it's at thinking underscore Muslim uh, I really do welcome any feedback that, that you have and uh, uh, please do remember to subscribe uh, on your uh, uh, on your podcast app uh, until next week Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Hi I'm Daniel founder of Pretty Litter Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy so I created Pretty Litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors saving you money and potentially your cat's life Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.